All right, lesson number two, tithes and offerings. The second lesson we are calling the first two tithes. And just like with the first lesson, we covered the first three offerings of the Bible. We're going to cover the first two tithes of the Bible here and see what kind of patterns and principles we can pull from that. And that's uh, it's a critical thing. A lot of doctrine can be built on patterns. If we see something happening over and over and over again, that establishes a characteristic of God. It establishes how God feels about something, what God's heart is concerning something. So when you study the Bible, you should look for patterns. One of the patterns is anytime there's sin, God's going to do something about it. That's a pattern. Uh, God destroys his enemies. That's a pattern. God has mercy on the humble. That's a pattern. Some of those things, we don't need a specific verse that says God has mercy on the humble. We can see him have mercy on the humble, and story after story, we understand God's nature. If you humble yourself, God will have mercy on you. So we look at these first three offerings and now these first two tithes so we can develop doctrine from the patterns that arise and help to um, further discern or rightly divide the word of God. Let's look at these lessons here. I've got a lot I wanted to say, so I wrote down a lot of it just for future reference sake, but... Our lesson here says, unfortunately, a great controversy and disagreement has arisen concerning the basis for New Testament tithing. I can't tell you how many times I've gone places and they don't teach New Testament tithing. They don't see it in the New Testament and therefore they're not going to teach their people about it. Well, that's just total biblical ignorance to, to not study the Bible and recognize what the Bible is saying about this. Furthermore, for a preacher who needs money to preach the gospel, for him to purposely ignore it, It's like shooting yourself in the foot right before you go run a marathon. Uh, We need finances to preach the gospel, and and God's word is very clear. He will bless the tither and the giver. The main argument against tithing under the new covenant is that tithing is, quote, Old Testament and, quote, under the law. We've all heard that argument. When any doctrinal debate arises concerning the law, the Bible student must take into consideration that only part of Exodus Part of Deuteronomy and all of Leviticus are technically law. That's it. Three out of 39 Old Testament books. That's less than 10%. It's about 8%. The Old Testament also happens to be comprised of books of prophecy, excuse me, books of history, books of poetry, and uh, books of prophecy. So not everything in the Old Testament is law. So for somebody to say, well, that's under the Old Testament. It's all law. That is a doctrinally, theologically ignorant statement. That person reveals that they are not well studied. They might know some things, but they're not overall well studied or well versed in the scriptures and in the theological sciences of homiletics and hermeneutics. The law is contained within the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is Genesis to Malachi, and the law is contained within it. But not everything in the Old Testament is the law. We need to understand that. To that end, Abraham instituted tithing over 400 years before the Exodus took place and the Mosaic law was given. So 400 years before the law was given, Moses and Jacob set forth the pattern of tithing. And so what we're going to see in this lesson is so when the law is given in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, the Lord begins to issue forth protocols and to expand upon what our father of faith began. Our father of faith, Abraham, instituted tithing way before Moses was ever conceived or the law was given. When the law comes along, the Lord expands upon it and gives regulations for it. 
Almost like if your kids are going to give you something, if they're going to make you something, you'll receive it. But you'll say, all right, I love that you want to make mommy a dress, but please don't take the curtains down to make mommy a dress. And please, please, uh, please, please don't use the hot glue gun either. Um, if you want to make me something, go get sewing lessons. That would really bless mommy. And that's what the Lord does. He sees us doing things and he appreciates our heart, but then he says, let me show you how I want it done. Amen. So, therefore, tithing is not under the law. Tithing supersedes the law. It's before the law and it's over the law. Furthermore, one of the ignorant statements is, if we take this doctrinal stance, which is so common in ignorant uh, students of the word, well, that's under the law and I'm free from that. Well, we have to remember worship is under the law. Holiness is under the law. Marriage is under the law. Church attendance is under the law. Are we, are we don't do those anymore. Praise and worship is under the law. One of the, here's, the ignorant, here's the ignorant end of that, of that line. We have a major denomination locally who does not believe in instruments in church. Do you know why? Because they don't see instruments in the New Testament. But they believe in tithes and offerings. And you want to point out well, at, when the prodigal came home, there was music and dancing and there's a trumpet that's going to be blasted, and, and you believe in pastors, but they're only mentioned once in the New Testament. So uh, we have to have some consistency with our hermeneutical laws, and uh, unfortunately some folks, they just get in a rut, and they, they can't see anything outside of their perhaps doctrinal blinders. So the first tithe, because again, we build doctrine on patterns. Let's look at the very first tithe that is referenced multiple times in the book of Hebrews. Tithe means tenth part. We understand that. This is 10% of all your increase before taxes. And we'll see the biblical precedent for that. As one commentary said, and I love this, tithing is like paying rent on the other 90% God lets you keep. You paying rent on what God lets you have. I like what one Baptist pastor said. He said, what's wrong with 10%? God could demand all of it if he wanted to. Why are we squawking over 10%? It was begun by Abram as a way to honor God for his goodness. That is the first and critical heart behind tithing. I want to show God I'm thankful for his goodness and his faithfulness to me. What is the least I can do? And Abram gave Melchizedek tithes of all. That's the story we're about to look at. Tithing was also how Abram declared his, in, uh, his dependence on God for success and provision. And we would also add his independence on mammon and kings for help. Amen. God wants us dependent on him and independent of the world. Too many Christians have that reverse. They're dependent on the world and they're independent of God. And we don't want to be independent on, of God. We want to be dependent on him. Every time we tithe, if you struggle with that, you should declare that, Lord, I trust you. I don't look to my boss. I don't look to my pension. I don't look to welfare. I look to you. And you open up your hand and you give me the power to obtain wealth. Genesis 14, 18 through 20. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. This is the very first instance of tithing we see in the entire Bible. It was initiated by the father of our faith, Father Abraham. He had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them. 
and so are you. <laughs> so let's all praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. So we don't have time to cover the whole story, but most of us are familiar with it. You can certainly go there and look. Let's look at some principles here that we see from this first instance of tithing. Because again, the more scriptures and passages we have on any topic, the more full a doctrine we can build. When the Bible is silent on something, we should be silent on something. When the Bible says a lot about something, we should be evaluating that lotta to build our doctrine. So here's some principles. Point one, this Melchizedek represents Jesus. We know that. Any good Bible student knows that as referenced in Psalms, as referenced in Hebrews. He was the king of Salem. So this Melchizedek was a priest and a king. He's the king of Salem, which is peace, means peace in, in Hebrew. So this king is the king of peace, which sounds a lot like Jesus being the prince of peace. He brought bread and wine, the first foreshadowing of Holy Communion. Think about that. Here's this Melchizedek, the, the priest who Jesus Christ was foresworn to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He shows up with our father of faith with bread and wine to have communion. Melchizedek pronounced a blessing over Abram and called attention to the military victory the Lord had just given Abram. Abram then tithed to Melchizedek. Now Abram went into battle trusting the Lord. He went into battle knowing he would win because the Lord was on his side. And Melchizedek, this priest, comes out and he says, don't forget the Lord gave you this victory. You're blessed because God fights for you and God's blessed because he's God. And Abraham went, here's 10%. Abraham then tithed to Melchizedek. This established the paramount principle that we tithe because God has blessed us. Sometimes we have to be reminded how blessed we really are. Sometimes we have to be reminded that it is God that has made us, that it is God who fights for us, it is God who's given us our job. And the second we can be reminded of that and we get a hold of it, tithing is very easy. Abram had just come from this war with all the spoils of war. Four kings and kingdoms worth of spoils was now Abraham's, or Abram's at this point. His name hadn't been changed yet. It was all his, and it was all God's doing. And, he, and Melchizedek, the priest, the preacher, the man of God, he points out, God has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram says, here you go, preacher, here's 10%. Amen. So this establishes the first principle of tithing. We tithe because God is good, and he is good to us. We could really say we tithe because God is God. And have you noticed you always give money where something is important to you? You always give money to God's. Little g. And, and, I, and I mean that jokingly. I mean, sports might be a little God. You know, you buy your team's jersey, you put money there. Or your hobby, whether it's remote control cars or four-wheeling or hunting, you put money there. And when God is your big God and the God, you can't help but put money there. Because you believe in what he's doing. You believe in, in the kingdom. Point two. Melchizedek was the priest of the most high God. Abram tithed to this holy man of God. This established the principle that we tithe to a man of God who ministers to the Lord. Did you know you can't tithe to yourself? This, this may be a, a, a far reach for us because we've never heard this before. I've been taught this. I've just never bothered to teach it. One of the things you can't do without a pastor is tithe. You, you can't tithe without a man of God over a local house to receive and bless it and put it into the kingdom. You just can't do it. It's one of the reasons you need a pastor. Under the old covenant, they were priests. In the new covenant, you have pastors that are over the local house that receive the tithe and pray over it and bless it and use it to propel the kingdom. 
But this is established here. He doesn't tithe to an altar because you don't tithe to altars. You give offerings at altars. That's established in the word. He tithes to a man. Under the Levitical law, you tithe to the priest who then takes it and builds the kingdom with it. The tithe is always used to build the kingdom. Offerings can be anything. Offerings can be water poured into the sand. Offerings can be you getting rid of something you love and say, Lord, I don't want to get rid of it, but I give it up as an offering to you. And it goes into the dumpster. And it benefits nobody but your life. Those are offerings. But tithes are always material things that are given to advance the kingdom. You can't take a million bucks and tithe into the wind off of a cliff and say, here you go, Lord, and it be a tithe. It could be an offering. And it blows and scatters. But you see from Genesis to the Revelation, the tithe is always given to a man or a woman, I suppose. Maybe it was Deborah. And it's used to advance God's kingdom to establish his covenant. Again, offerings can be anything. It can be you giving up a hobby. It can be you, the Lord, speak to you about your book collection. And the Lord say, get rid of it. That can be an offering. An offering, can you build, be building a room onto the side of your house for the man of God like the widow did for Elijah? Yeah, I mean, it can be anything can be David pouring out water into the sand because it's the price of blood. That was an offering. But the tithe has to go to the man of God. Amen. So those that don't go to church, they don't get to tithe. So they kind of stay in a bad state. Yeah. This establishes the principle that we tithe to a man of God who ministers to the Lord. And so just so you know, I tithe to my pastor. And he used to have a pastor until they all passed away. So now my pastor is kind of, he's the old man, so to say. He's, there's no one left for him to submit to. He has, the conveyor belt of life has moved on, and now he's at the forefront of it. You know, would to God he lasts, you know, he lives another 25 years, because pastor's in his mid-60s now. But, so now, he, I don't know what he does with his tithe, but I tithe to a pastor. Our church tithes to his ministry, to advance the kingdom. We do not tithe to the widow, the charity or ourselves. It's not biblical. The tithe belongs to the Lord. This was confirmed under the law, Leviticus 27.30. So point number three, the setting for this encounter between Abram and Melchizedek is a pattern of worship followed countless times in the Bible. So as a pattern, we'll see it in our life. What's the pattern? God's servant has to fight a battle. Anybody here ever have to fight a battle? Yeah, <laughs> every day. God grants his servant victory. Anybody ever here been given victory from the Lord? Absolutely. The victor fellowships with the Lord through worship. That's what we should do. We come to church and say, Lord, you brought me through another week. You brought me through a bad week, a rough business week. You brought me through a marital battle. You brought me through a money battle. You brought me through a healing battle. Lord, I'm here to give thanks. That's exactly what happened with Abraham and Melchizedek. He comes back from battle and the priest reminds the man, of the, this father of faith, don't forget. That's the job of a good preacher. Don't forget how you got here today. Sometimes we preachers have to do that. We have to remind you of what you know, but sometimes you forget. You're here because God let you be here. So show some thanks. That's what Melchizedek was doing. The victor produces a gift of thanksgiving to God, whether it's the sacrifice of praise, a heart giving thanks to the or mouths giving thanks to the Lord, whether it's a financial gift, a tithe, an offering whether it's a life lived for him. But when, you, when you're thankful, something is demonstrated. A hug, a kiss, a card. Thankful people, your heart has to reciprocate that thanksgiving. And 
The final step, God further blesses the victor. When you're thankful, the Lord gives you more victories. When your children are thankful, you buy them more stuff. When your friends are thankful, you want to bless them again. When they're not thankful, you kind of start to dry that thing up a little bit. You start to turn the spigot off. If my children aren't thankful, I'm not going to buy them anything else until they can learn to be thankful. God's the same way with us. The more thankful we are, the more we give thanks to the Lord, whether it's through the tithe, through the offering, through thanksgiving, through hands lifted up, the more victory it will propel in our life. And I think we understand how that works. This establishes the principle that tithing honors the Lord for our victory over a battle, a victory that brought us increase. We cannot say, I have made myself. We cannot say, uh, I've pulled myself up by my bootstrap. You have to recognize that you got a paycheck on Friday because of the Lord. He gave you the brain. He gave you the degree. He gave you the job. He gave you the skill set. He gave you the favor. They could have fired you. They didn't. And you got a paycheck. That's victory over the week or the two-week period or the monthly period, whatever your thing is. And, and so we tithe to maintain this victory. Amen. We say, Lord, thank you for this pay period. I like what one preacher said. He said, we, we often get confused. We say we go to work to make a living. He said, what you ought to say is I go to work to have a giving. Just a little perspective change in your heart. I go to work to earn a giving, not to make a living. God takes care of my living. I got a giving now. I got to give it. I, I like that little changing. Just one little letter, G, can make all the difference in your heart when you go to work. If you hate going to work, change your heart. Amen. Realize you're going to work to earn a paycheck that you can help advance the kingdom with. That'll change how you view work altogether. Don't go grudgingly. Don't go with the attitude. Go realizing the Lord, he is causing this victory to come to me. You got to think Abraham was a little nervous. He's taken 300 something guys to go fight five kings. Excuse me, four kings that five kings couldn't beat. This battle was about nine kings and five kings couldn't beat four kings. And Abram in his hundreds or in his late 90s, excuse me, in his 90s is about to go take 300 slaves to beat four kings that five kings couldn't beat. That was probably a rough work week. But he comes back with a tithe. And then the book of Hebrews points out that Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And he says, of no controversy, the less is blessed of the greater. Which says Melchizedek was greater than Abram. But he still tithe. All right. This is confirmed. We, we tithe to maintain victory. This is confirmed in Malachi 3, 10 through 12. We should be familiar with Malachi chapter 3. Point four, Abram tithes on the spoils of war then gave the remainder to Bera, the king of Sodom. This establishes the principle that we tithe to God before the king gets his share. I like that. He tithes on everything and gives it to Melchizedek. Then king, king Sodom says, hey, keep it all and know that the Lord's blessed you. And Abram says, I'm not going to keep any of it because you'll say you made me rich. So I only want the portions that we needed to fight the battle and everything else goes back to you. So he gives the king all the spoils back minus the tithe, which I love. And that's how the government should be. The government should not regulate our giving. I don't care if they tax us to 50% like the commies they want to be. We're still going to be tithers because God is our supply. God is our source. Amen. This establishes the principle that we tithe to God before the king gets his share or that is taxes. This is also called tithing on your gross income. 
tithing before Uncle Sam gets his 15, 20, 25, 30%. You tithe on it. Point five, Abram used tithing as an opportunity to declare to the pagan king, Bera of Sodom, that it was God that had promoted and prospered Abram, not Bera. So I like this principle. This is one of my favorite principles of tithing. This establishes the principle that tithing is a way to declare our dependence on God for provision and our independence from mammon. Tithing declares, I trust God. Folks that don't believe in the tithe are too busy with their little arms trying to get. And I feel sorry for them because they don't know how good God wants to be to them. And they've never trusted God for financial provision. If you really think that 10% will make or break you, you, have a live, you live a very fragile life. If 10% will make or break you, you need to start robbing something else in your life. Like your video game habit and your dog food. I, I say this, if you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford pets. Will a man rob God to feed his dog? Yeah, he will in America. Amen. That's called worshiping the creation more than the creator. When the dog gets your money, and you see, you're dyslexic. It's God, not dog. God gets your money. Maybe it's an it's a educational problem. Maybe it's a learning disability. If we can give dog all your money, and you'll get things right with God. <laughs> which would be a dyslexic joke, which may not be very politically correct, but I laid hands on a kid once in Key West and he got healed of dyslexia just like that. It's a cool thing. God will heal of dyslexia too. This establishes the principle that tithing is a way to declare our dependence on God for provision, our independence from mammon. Jesus Christ said you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one and cling to the other. Number six, our father Abram instituted the tithe as an act of joyful and thankful reciprocation to the Lord for his immutability and faithfulness to the covenant he had established with Abram. Simply put, God kept his word to Abram and Abram tithed out of thankfulness and for his part of the covenant. Our part of the covenant is just tithe. I mean, it's the least we can do is give the Lord 10% that he might be able to finance his ministers so other people can know this covenant as well. This reiterates the principle that we tithe because God is God and he has been good to us. Amen. Very simple six principles. Let's look at the second tithe. The second tithe, the Bible records, was promised by Jacob after his famous vision of Jacob's ladder. We've all heard about Jacob's ladder. It's important to note that Genesis 28 indicates that Jacob had received the blessing of Abraham through the declaration of Isaac. So this is critical because... Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. He is the son of Isaac, Isaac the son, promised child to Abraham. We have what is called the promise of Abraham or the blessing of Abraham or the covenant of Abraham. And it was passed to Isaac. Then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Esau was, was born first, so he should have had everything. But he sold his birthright over for a, a bowl of lentils, which is about as dumb as you get. I'd rather eat dirt than lentils. But he sold his birthright and the promises of God for some soup. Because he was lazy and a liar and emotional. I'm going to die. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you are. You don't get any food before sundown, you're going to die. You can go 40 days without food and you're going to sell your birthright over a convenient meal. So this is important because it, it's a confirmation to Jacob that he did, in fact, win the birthright. Because Isaac declares over Jacob the covenant of Abraham right before Isaac passes away. This is critical to understand. So here's, here's the prophecy or here's the, the, the declaration of the blessing. And God Almighty bless you, Jacob, 
and make thee fruitful and multiply thee that thou mayest be a multitude of people. That's the promise to Abraham, a great, gener- a great nation. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to you and to your seed with thee that they may- thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger which God gave unto Abraham. So this is Isaac, the son, reconfirming the, the, the covenant over the grandson. Okay? The faith, lineage, blessing, and covenant of Abraham were passed to Jacob and not his brother Esau. The Lord confirmed his covenant with Jacob in this vision. That's the whole point of Jacob's ladder, is a vision telling Jacob, you don't have to be a vagabond anymore. You don't have to run away anymore. I am with you. Start living like it. Because Jacob, he was always afraid of Esau because he know he tricked him and he was just nervous about the whole thing. So God shows up because God's got to keep his word and says, the promise of your grandfather is with you. And I am the God of your father Isaac and the grandfather Abraham, and I'm going to be your God too. This is critical where we're going because we're building the pattern of tithing before the law. This was a continuation of the covenant he had originally made with Abraham. God reaffirms to Jacob the five promises he will keep with him. Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with thee. This is what he says in the vision of Jacob's ladder. I am with you. I will keep you in all places where you go. I will bring you again to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee. Five points to this covenant. And I want us to keep in mind we have the same five promises. God is with us or with Jacob. God will keep us. God will bring us again to whatever he's promised us to. He will not leave us and he will accomplish that which he has spoken to us. Those are, those are New Testament promises. So this is the total setting of why Jacob's about to tithe. That's why we have to cover this because it's the exact same situation Abraham was in. God made a promise to Abraham Abraham knew God's promises. Abraham banked on those promises, went to war, had increase, tithed on the increase. Now, about 100 years later, Jacob is in the same position. God is reiterating these promises. And Jacob wakes up from this dream and says, if this is true, I'll be a tither. 300 years before the law was ever given. As a humbled response to the renewed covenant of his father and grandfather, Jacob worships the Lord And makes a vow to him. So let's read this promise. Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar. He he got a southern accent there. That pillar looks like it'll make a good pillar. (laughs) That, That may sound foolish to us that they would use a rock for a pillow. But many of the ancient cultures used something hard as a neck support. Wooden wooden pillows are very common in the Middle uh, Middle East and the, the Far East. So for someone in Jacob's time to use a rock as a pillow to align his vertebrae is not uncommon. We, we think, you mean it wasn't posturific or posturpedic or tempurpedic? That was a rock. Which means some of you ought to maybe make an altar out of your pillows and quit sleeping so much. <laughs> Give of the Lord a little bit more of your time. Love not slumber, as the book of Proverbs says. Amen. He set up for a pillar, an altar. And he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, the house of God. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me, and he will keep me in the way that I go, and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house 
And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. I think this is a conversion experience. He meets God and God becomes very real to him for the first time. And he, he, he's got to have a God. Everybody had a God. But he says, the Lord will be my God. And I will build God's house. I and mean, that's the very first thing he does is commit to building God's house. And he takes a foundation stone. That which he would worship for his flesh, a pillow, that becomes the foundation of God's house. And that, there's a lot to preach there for us. What kind of carnal, fleshy things are we serving ourselves with that we could lay down and build God's house with? A hobby, too much sleep, too much food, selfishness. There's a fa- I mean, you could preach that. Any good preacher could preach that a hundred different ways. And I can't. I got to stick with our curriculum. Jacob has this meeting with God and God makes a covenant with him and says, I will be with you, I'll take care of you, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you, I'll provide for you and I will fulfill that which I promised. And Jacob says, I'll help build your house, I'll give offerings and I want to tithe. Folks don't get that saved today. (laughs) They just don't. I wish they did, but we just don't see folks get that saved, especially when preachers are telling them they don't have to tithe or give. Lying to them. Jacob's overwhelming understanding and revelation that God had made a covenant with him produced a desire to build the house of God, pour out an oblation offering of oil, and vow to begin tithing. This vow to tithe was clearly a demonstration of appreciation for the Lord's promise of provision and protection. We both have those promises, provision, protection. Why wouldn't we tithe? Consider the tithing principles established by Jacob's covenant. Number one, God confirmed at Jacob that he was being grandfathered into the blessing of Abraham. I like that term, grandfathered. I think we get it from this story right here. Upon realizing these truths, Jacob began to build the house of God, gave an offering, and vowed to begin tithing. He even called the house of God heaven's gate. That will preach powerfully for these days as well. You want to hear from heaven? Get your tail to the house of God. He said, this is where heaven is opened. This is where angels come and go. This is where supply is. This is God's house. This is heaven's gate. Amen. I'm glad I go to the house of God and get to hang out at heaven's gate. This is where heaven opens and things come out and things go in. Why would you go hang out in the bar? Why would you stream church if you could be in church? Why would you skip church? I don't get it. Yeah. We likewise are now recipients of Abraham's blessing. This establishes the principle that Christians, the recipients of Abraham's blessing, should help build God's house, give offerings, and pay tithes. We see this pattern pretty easily. Jacob's covenant with God had five promises. Our new covenant with God includes the same five promises. And I gave you New Testament references. I am with you. I will keep you. I will bring you again to this land. Philippians 1.6 says that, uh, which he's promised he will, he will be faithful to complete. I will not leave you. Hebrews 13, 5 says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I will accomplish that which I've spoken to you. Faithful is he that is promised. We have these same five promises. Jacob was part of his grandfather's blessing and he tithed in response. This establishes the principle that just as our children are partakers of God's blessing, we must teach them to tithe in response. Every one of your children should be tithers. Amen. You should teach them you're blessed, baby, because I'm blessed. And I'm blessed because I serve God. And you're going to serve God because as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. So every, everything you get, we tithe on. Our personal testimony is that our girls started tithing before they were born. 
The second people found out we had conceived babies, money starts coming, right? Gifts and gift cards. We started tithing on all that. So we have the testimony that both of our girls started tithing literally from the time they were conceived. And our, uh, even now when we go out the door, Lydia will say, I need offering. She, I don't think she fully gets it because she likes to get it and then give it to her friends to give. But she understands. Money doesn't, she doesn't quite grasp the concept because there's, she's blessed. But she tithes. And it keeps stuff coming to even our children. It works. Where did Jacob learn tithing from? His family. We don't have any Bible that says Isaac taught it to him, but we know Abraham tithed. And something strikes Jacob where he says, I want to tithe too, like grandfather did. And I, we have to assume Isaac. It doesn't say Isaac did, but we have to assume he did. Point three, Jacob continued the tithe as an act of joyful and thankful reciprocation to the Lord for his immutability and faithfulness to the covenant. Simply put, and this is a reiteration from uh, Abraham's covenant, God kept his word to Jacob and Jacob tithed out of thankfulness and for his part of the covenant. God maintains his covenant with us even when we're unfaithful. Keep, keep in mind, in the New Testament, God is faithful to us even when we're unfaithful. We ought to tithe. Because even when we're dumb, goofy, backslidden, he's still faithful to us. And when we come to our own senses, we should say, Lord, I want to tithe again. For this reason, we should tithe like Jacob did. So we see those patterns repeated over and over and over again. Now, with this last little section, I want to begin to lay the foundation for tithing under the law because that's always the big argument against not tithing in the New Testament. In fact, but we, we, we all know that uh, tithing is all about love and honor anyway. Nobody ever says to their wife, well, I've been married to you 20 years. I ain't need to buy you nothing no more. That's not going to go over well. When you love, there's a money flow. How many of you wives would be happy if your man ain't never got you nothing the rest of your life? That's not going to fly. Even the pagans get that. Even the pagans realize, I love and I want to show it. And, and some of the showing, it's not just always money. Some of the showing is money. So let's look at this because I got to begin to lay the foundation now. We only have two instances of tithing before the law is given. But both of them are demonstrated hundreds of years before the law is given. And both of them are under the Abrahamic covenant. The same covenant we have. So tithing under the law, page 7 at the bottom. God established the descendants of Abraham as a nation by giving them laws. So once Jacob changed his name to Israel, his descendants became great in Egypt. God brings them out of Egypt he begins to give them laws, both moral laws and ceremonial laws or religious laws, and it is to establish them as a nation. Laws are what establish a nation as a nation. When a nation goes lawless, it no longer ceases to be or no longer uh, is a nation, which is where we're headed as a nation. These laws serve to protect the Israelites physically, provide for them a moral code, teach them holiness, and distinguish them from the heathen nations around them. This is why we live according to God's word. It makes us different than the pagans around us. Every one of us should strive to live according to God's word because it makes us different. The giving of the law began on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments. And here's what you need to understand as a Bible student. All of the law was not just given on the mountain. It was given over 40 years. So you had a lot of the law given on Mount Sinai, 
but more of it was given in the wilderness in the book of Numbers. And then some of it was even further reiterated and added to in the book of Deuteronomy right before they passed into the promised land. So you have three rounds of the law being built and established. And every time that, that more law is added to establish the Mosaic law or the mitzvah, as it's called, the 613 commandments, it takes place in three different bursts. Exodus, Leviticus, a little bit of, uh, and then Deuteronomy, and, well, and then reiterating Deuteronomy with some of it added to. So God gave the Israelites a total of 613 laws, collectively called the mitzvah. From that point forward, if a non-Israelite wanted to serve the Lord God of Israel and be numbered among his people, they had to keep his commandments. That still applies today. If you want to be counted among God's people, you have to keep his commandments. You can't just go to church. Going to church does not make you God's people. Jesus Christ reiterated this mandate. He said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. I, there's such a lie today that you can go to church and be a Christian. Not how it works. So part of the law or mitzvah included guidelines for tithing. Now listen, Jacob's descendants knew how to tithe, but until, until the law was given, they're just, they're just tithing the best way their heart's compelling them. So the law comes along and begins to establish how the Lord wants the tithing done. Kind of like, if you're going to help me, I can tell you how I want help. So what God does is take this thing that Abraham established by faith, and with laws, he begins to tweak it and show them how to keep their heart right in doing what they're doing. These laws expanded upon and produced protocol for the practice of giving 10%. This was a practice Abraham initiated. The laws concerning tithing were given in three rounds. So on Mount Sinai after the Exodus, and uh, the book of Leviticus covers a lot of what was given on Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, right after the Exodus, our first batch of laws concerning the tithe were given. This brief discourse on tithing expanded the notion of tithing from not just the spoils of war, which is what Abraham gave, or substance received, which is what Jacob gave, but included the whole tithe of the land and the tithe of the flock and the herd that was going to be given to Israel once they entered into Canaan and possessed the promised land. When you're in the desert, you don't have any fruit of the land. You don't have seed or produce because you're nomadic people living off of cattle. So this was saying, basically was saying, when you come into the promised land, you give me 10% of everything that's there. Year after year after year. So it was expanding the tithe. It wasn't just spoils of war because once they go to the promised land, the wars will die out and I don't, now I don't have to give God anything. They'd get legalistic with the tithe. And well, if the Lord doesn't give me any clothing, which is what Jacob said, clothing and food, I'll give you 10% of everything. I've got my own food. God didn't give it. I got my own clothes. God didn't give it. So I don't have to tithe now. No, the Lord says, everything I give you. So you can see he's giving a law to propel the tithe so he can bless them. We know from last week's lesson, God needs nothing we have. He is the self-sufficient one. He we tithe so he can bless us. We tithe to maintain our heart towards God. We tithe, we tithe to maintain our covenant with him. The second time the uh, laws were given was in the wilderness at the, as the priesthood flourishes, covered in the book of Numbers. The second discourse on tithing explains its main purpose. So the only tithing we see in Leviticus talks about expanding what you tithe on. The second time tithing laws are given, it talks about who gets it and what's done with it. And uh, it means uh, the, 
explains its main purpose, which was to provide for the priesthood and ministry of the tabernacle. That's the whole reason tithing was given, was to maintain the ministers and expand the ministry. We just covered that 20 minutes ago in this lesson. Tithing is always brought to the man of God to provide for the preacher and expand the ministry. Right? Tithing you cannot do without a pastor uh, or a spiritual father. Offerings can be anything. Offerings can be things you throw in the dumpster. Offerings can be water poured out. Tithing has to be a material thing you bring to advance the kingdom and provide for the preacher. That's established here. The responsibility of managing and using the tithe was given to the priests. And if they mishandled it, they died. We still have that promise today. (laughs) Or the IRS gets you and then you wish you were dead. Verse 3. The third time tithing is discussed under the law, really three books out of 39, Exodus, Leviticus, a little bit of Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right, after, right before entering the promised land, right before entering the promised land, Deuteronomy is a reiteration of the law given to the Israelites right before they possessed the land. These laws in, in Deuteronomy, they cover where to tithe, what to tithe, why to tithe, and a reminder not to neglect the Levite. There's only three passages under the law that teach the tithe, and they are all protocol that we still operate under to this day. The heart of it you can very easily see under the new covenant. We tithe on 10% of everything God gives us. Why? Because God has been good to us and he's provided for us. What does purpose does the tithe serve? To provide for the minister and to expand the ministry. Amen. I mean, to me, this is so simple. This is like ABC 123. How people with PhDs in theology can goof this up is beyond me. And yet at the same time, they only hurt themselves in their ministry. Under the law, God established that the principle that the tithe was meant to fund his ministry and advance the establishment of his covenant with all the peoples of the earth. Under the law, God established this principle that the tithe was meant to do this. Provide for the preacher, establish the covenant in the earth. That's covered in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's given you a power to obtain wealth that he may establish his covenant as he has said to your fathers. Why do we tithe today? To provide for the minister and help establish the covenant of the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what we do it for. And then there are benefits for us. We'll cover that in another lesson. Again, the more I teach on this, the more I think this is going to have to be eight lessons and not just four. There's too much to cover in just four lessons. So review really quick. Last two minutes. From the first two tithes of the Bible, we can learn eight principles about tithing. Number one, we tithe because God is God and he keeps his covenant with us. Hallelujah. The only time you don't need to tithe is if you're a pagan and you're damned to hell. And if you're not a pagan damned to hell, don't act like it. Amen. Amen. (laughs) We tithe to the man of God, the priest, the Levite, the pastor, the father in the faith. We tithe to maintain victory. Hallelujah. We tithe on gross income. Before taxes, Uncle Sam does not control what I give. Amen. And he never will. We tithe to declare our dependence on God and maintain independence from mammon. So one of the things tithing does, it's an act of rededication. Every time you get that paycheck or that gift card or that offering or that offering, but birthday money, whatever, you take that 10% and it's like an act of rededication. Look at this 10%, Lord. This proves I trust you and I'm going to give it to you. I, uh, 
you guys really blessed me at my birthday, but I, I have a mandate from the Lord. I tithe 10%, I save 10%, I invest 10%, and after 30% is gone, there's not much left. 70%, then I say put some in another account, and, and now my birthday money is not so much. But I tithe, I saved, and I invested. And uh, I, I don't, I'm not one of these people that has money just burning the hole in my pocket. Not usually. That's why the Lord gave me a wife to help with that hole-burning problem. And so I just give her the money. But every one of us could stand to be a lot more disciplined with our money. We tithe because we have an inherited blessing, uh, Abraham's blessing. Abraham tithe, Jacob tithe, God's people are on the old covenant tithe. Why, why are we exempt? Because the New Testament doesn't talk a hundred times about it. Jesus Christ said about tithing on mint, cumin, and anise, this you ought to do. Jesus said you ought to tithe on your spices. Hebrews says, there men tithe. Here, it says, here men tithe. Here, Hebrews chapter 7. Here men tithe. Paul, Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, we could probably find more in the New Testament about tithing than we do in the Old Testament if we know where to look, and we'll cover that in the next lessons. We tithe to help build the kingdom, and we, we must teach our children to tithe. Amen. Can you imagine how far we could be if our parents had taught us to tithe, and we could just begin to look at every dollar as being worth 90 cents? And it would never cross our heart to ever steal the tithe. Amen. So this is just a foundational lesson so you can see what the Bible has to say about tithing, why it predates the law or how it predates the law, and why we're not exempt from it because we're redeemed, as some say, from the Old Testament. We're not redeemed from the Old Testament. We are built upon the Old Testament. We're redeemed from the curse of the law. But as far as I can see, tithing is not a curse. It's a blessing. There's such ignorant understanding or misunderstanding of the Old Testament, how it applies. One more statistic I give you all the time. The New Testament directly quotes the Old Testament 695 times. And the New Testament references the Old Testament over 4,100 times. So how are we free and exempt from everything from Genesis to Malachi? And if Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, what word was that? Everything from Malachi back to Genesis. And now that word... Genesis to Malachi dwells in us. Being born again of the word of God, Genesis to Malachi. All right, just trying to help you guys doctrinally these crazy last days when there's so many heretics and idiots out there. One of the things we got to fight, church, is our time and our distraction. Too many of you still live on your phone. You ought to be giving more time to the Bible. The Bible hasn't changed, even though technology does. Know your Bible. And it'll set you free. Father, we thank you for blessing this Sunday school lesson. Help us as we continue on these lessons of tithing and offering. And uh, let us be blessed by you and propel your kingdom, provide for your ministers and glorify your name. Bless us, Lord, because we are tithers and givers. And may we always have enough for our family, enough to give as you command us to, and enough to build the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for supplying our needs and rebuking the devourer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we got about uh, 12 minutes before service.